This is Have You Met? My guest today is a renowned volcanologist, award-winning astronomer, and serial author. His books include Night Skies of Botswana, Mars, The Lore of the Red Planet, and a series of deep sky companion books designed to help amateur astronomers get the most out of their observations. He's known for his legendary eyesight and observational prowess, which have helped him become the first person to observe many incredible things, including Halley's Comet on its 1985 return, the rotation period of Uranus, and the mysterious spokes in Saturn's B-ring, which he was able to detect before the Voyager spacecraft imaged them. He even has an asteroid named in his honor. Have you met Stephen James O'Meara? So Stephen, you're a volcanologist and astronomer. How did you get into yes. vol volcanology? How did you get into volcanoes? Okay, time for the prop. <laughs> Dinosaurs. He's holding up a book on dinosaurs. And you see a little in the golden background. book. Yes. Okay. Right. So was it was it as simple as that? The the imagery in a dinosaur book on a dinosaur cover. Yes. That's just that just blew me away. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and and I just became enamored. I think it's the color red because the color red is fierce. Yeah. Um, it's passion. It's passionate, and. Um, but this is, well, I don't know how old I was. I must've been five years old, maybe <laughs> yeah. something of, of that age. And coupled with the fact, sorry, coupled with the fact that, um, my mother's best friend was a missionary priest in Hawaii. Oh, right. Okay. And he'd come, he, he'd come to visit us every Christmas and he had, always either a piece of lava or he tell me about <laughs> the volcanoes on the island of Hawaii. Wow. And then um, one year the volcano erupted on my birthday and it brought me a piece of lava and wow. said, you have to come out here yeah. and see this. And well, um, when I was old enough, I did, but that was, but the, what's funny is I, I started off in geology at the university and because I wanted to become a volcanologist. Yeah. But that was in the 1970s and all they were doing was drilling for oil. Everything was oil. And I just mm. said to my teacher, when are you going to start talking about volcanoes? And he said, well, if you want to see a volcano, why don't you just jump on a plane and go to one? And I went, aha. <laughs> <laughs> Light bulb moment. There you go. <laughs> Light bulb moment. So you did? I did. I started my own company. And yeah, what was the company called? Volcano Watch, was it? Am I right? Yeah, Volcano Watch International. Yeah. What was the first volcano you went to in the flesh? So yeah, the first volcano was, in fact, God, actually, I, you know, I'd love to say it was Hawaii, but I think it might have been New Zealand. I forget. I went to New Zealand, stopped off in Hawaii, maybe, or vice versa. But yeah. I do remember the passion came from Hawaii. Yeah. And I visited my friend, and um, he had a friend who had a plane. He took me over uh, a volcano that was steaming crazily. It wasn't wow. actually erupting, but uh, uh, and then I started walking the fields, and um, so then I decided to move there. Oh, right. Okay. 
because back then it wasn't erupting all the time. It would only erupt for a few days, stop, be silent for years. So I said, the only way I'm going to see an eruption there is to move. So I did. <laughs> wow. I was just in my early 20s. <laughs> yeah. I was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> did it pay off? So did you I, see it? Did you see it erupt? Yeah. Actually, I was observing yeah. um, up on Mauna Kea. So I was at 14,000 feet right. using a telescope on top of Mauna Kea. <laughs> and then the telephone rang in the observatory and they said, um, the volcano is erupting. No. And so I dashed outside. And my first view of a volcano was from 14,000 feet, looking down at it as it oh. burned a hole through the clouds. That's <laughs> insane. Wow. So we, yeah, but that, so we drove, uh, me and these other guys, um, all the way down the mountain from this volcano over to Kilauea. And then, um, I never had a martini because I always wanted to wait until I saw my first eruption. <laughs> and so we went to what's called the Volcano House. It was a summit eruption. It was inside the caldera, like 500 feet down. Mm. And it was a two-mile-long uh, two curtain of fire. So it was 200-foot wow. fire fountains for two miles long. And everyone was at the Volcano House. I had a martini. We were watching it. And then I just said, I'm going into the crater. So I just said goodbye to my friends. <laughs> it was nighttime. It was only a half moon. I had no food, no water, only no flashlight. And I walked across the, the caldera. It was like two miles across molten lava and walked right up to the fire fountains. Wow. And then, yeah, this is where the stupidity curve came <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you did say you were wild in your 20s <laughs> oh yeah yeah so any, anything that you can imagine that was stupid and then learned your lessons yeah it was a good learning lesson it was a good learning experience so yeah i mean for example i had a hawaiian friend who told me that once lava as it's moving towards you the the air is so cold that the crust mm. starts to crystallize, even though it's still molten inside. So he said, after 10 minutes, you can just walk on it. You know, so I would wait for the lava to like roll up to me. And then it was this blast furnace heat from this curtain of fire. It was like standing in front of the sun. Yeah. And you had to shade, shield your eyes from the lava fountains. And then I was just, touching the lava with my foot, my toe, like henpecking it. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally I just jumped up and stood on it <laughs> and then jumped up. <laughs> was that not the scariest moment? Like, what was that like? Scary. You know, I, I thought I was going to ignite into flames, you know, but. <laughs> yeah, just sink like down a foot. You're 20, when you're 20 yeah. after a martini, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your first martini so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's your excuse <laughs> yeah. that sounds amazing anyway. though. what an experience like obviously oh, i'm not suggesting anybody to go and do that but it sounds incredible no no don't, don't. <laughs> just let, let me do the stupid things for you so but um and then i went over and it it actually crossed a road wow. and i was the only one there there's no no scientists were there there's no one yeah. there everybody there's else there. was at a safe distance i assume 
<laughs> yeah, they were like miles away up on top of the caldera. And so I just played with the lava, uh, listened to it, watched it, was trying to feel its rhythms. And then I followed it. I walked with it as it crossed a, a road. Yeah. <laughs> and then it went over a cliff and started pooling down below. And so there was a lava falls wow. going down over the cliff. Yeah. And I just sat there just sort of meditating and just looking at the stars overhead, the fire fountains behind me. And I got lost in my yeah. thoughts. And what I hadn't noticed was that on the other side of me, another lava river came down and did the same. Oh. So I was on a little island of land in between two lava flows. That's crazy. <laughs> so you had two choices either. Well, you can't jump down because you'll, end up in a soup of lava yeah or because i tested the lava i went over to the newly formed river and i um waited for the banks to cool and i walked up on the banks and i actually did like a little grunge over over the river <laughs> you know that's amazing Oh, I don't know. It just went on and on from there. What a story. Yeah, I can imagine. And so since then, you've basically traveled the entire world looking at the F up, up close and personal with volcanoes, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. yeah, absolutely. So um, tell me a couple yeah. of your highlights. Like, it can be from any time. You can go back, forward, whenever. Just a couple of your best memories oh, yeah. from it. Yeah. Um, oh, God. So, so many. Um, uh, let's see. Every volcano is different. Every volcano has its own personality. Um, for the longest time, I mean, the, the oh, geez, this, this is too many. Um, <laughs> Anywhere so in the top 20 is fine. <laughs> There's too much oh, yeah. pressure on the best. <laughs> it, 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 there is, but, but they're all memorable. So, that's right, so that you, you got me there with a good question. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I know the life-changing moment for me was because I did a lot of, it was all the stupidity curve and learning curves of, of when I'm at volcanoes. And I worked my way from slow lava to more explosive eruptions, like at Stromboli in Italy, which is just a beautiful volcano, but mm. recently turned killer. Um, and then the turning moment was at Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines. And it was one of the strongest eruptions. And, but that's when, you know, this, unfortunately it's not a happy story, but I saw the devastation of villages from the lava flows that came down and the mud flows that came down. And I was caught in a, um, um, a village that was inundated with mud and there were 50 people or so that were left from an evacuation, including a little girl who was holding mm. onto a bicycle, but we couldn't get to her because of those like volcanic quicksand. Oh, yeah. I tried to get her. I fell in the quicksand. I was pulled out by my friends and then we were taken to safety. And then after that, 50 people died um, from the mud oh, flow God. that came down. So yeah. the, the village was wiped out, but that changed my attitude with volcanoes to helping to try to find ways to predict volcanoes in order to save lives. Yeah. Uh, and that's where the big change in my life occurred. And so uh, 
So that's what I've been working on ever since. Yeah, yeah. With that. But, you know, but other, um, just, it, it's, there's always a juxtaposition between the volcano, its beauty, its raw mm. natural forces, but having to be, having to deal with the humanity that's surrounding it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, they're amazing things. What are the yeah. like? Are there any big ones that are a bit of a threat at the moment? Are there any like likely big like eruptions in our lifetime? Say any super volcanoes or anything like that, or probably not. I don't know. I mean, they they have a list of, of volcanoes, decade volcanoes that could erupt that could do, erupt disastrously. But um, I think that's an old list. It, it, any volcano can erupt at any time and to become a potential threat. Right. I don't think I want to put any focus on any one volcano yeah. at the moment. But the beauty of it is, especially Hawaiian volcanoes and the more gentle volcanoes is that you're seeing the earth being formed, you're seeing life. I think the most amazing episode, I, okay, now I was talking about that, is when I saw the death of a volcano. And this again, it was Kilauea, and what happened was the lava, the lava fountains were occurring and then they, they started to get less intense to, and then more gas was coming out of the vents. But then what happened was all the lava that surrounded the vents started gushing into the vents and the volcano started to choke oh. and you could hear it echoing yeah. off the walls. It would just go, oh, oh, and then it would cough. And all this molten rock would go flying out. Whoa. And then after the cough, you would hear, <gasps> and then oh, 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 all this lava would <laughs> choke in the throat again, and it would cough. Oh, and it, it went through all these death rows. Wow. And then finally, there was one final inhale, and it just went, And that was it. And the, the sun rose. The birds were chirping wow. overhead. The, the, the lava was silvery and crystalline. There was just, and it was over. It, yeah. It's just, but to hear and to feel like the rhythm of life yeah. in the earth, it just made me understand why primitive cultures believed in them as, as deities. Yeah. Yeah, and I see what you mean because they can they can be so destructive, right? But th at the same time, they create more fertile ground and things like that, don't they? Once uh, yes, after they do. an eruption, they do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, exactly. That's, that is fascinating. That's amazing. <laughs> let's let's skim or jump onto yes. your your other passion. And you mentioned you were on mm -hmm. the top of one of the volcanoes at fourteen thousand, or on a mountain at fourteen thousand feet with your telescope. Yeah. So. Let's go to astronomy. Did you fall in love with astronomy before volcanoes or how did you get into it? All happened at the same time. Yeah. Um, because again, so I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts and near Boston. Mm. And back then in the 50s, the stars, you could see them from your, your backyard. But my first memory um, was actually of a lunar eclipse that my mother showed me while sitting on her lap. Again, I was only five or six. 
And like the volcano, which was red, the lunar eclipse was blood red. Yeah. And it just, that again, that color just burned into me. And, um, and I just became passionate then about the stars. And I, I was, I think I was eating a box of cornflakes and sometimes in the back of the box, they had different things you can cut out. And one was a star wheel. Yeah. So I made my own little planisphere. I learned the stars on my own. Uh, I would just go out and, and look. Parents gave me a telescope. I, I didn't even know how to focus it. I was yeah. looking at stars out of focus as huge blobs, but I thought that was wonderful. You know, so the yeah. <laughs> huge out of focus stars. I just thought that that was amazing that a telescope this small could resolve stars. But actually, one windy day, my head hit the tube <laughs> and everything went into focus. And all <laughs> the stars were pinpoints of light. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you, you, were, you were just like, wow, I've been missing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. but then I was like, ah, yes, the stars are so far away. They should be little pinpoints. You know? yeah. <laughs> Makes sense now. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I was just a kid, but I learned all the stars on my own. I had my own telescopes. Um, and then when I was 14 years old, I could have been 13, 14, my friends took me to Harvard College Observatory because <laughs> they had an open house. And then, nice. Um, we were standing in line and there was like hundreds of people there, but the line wasn't moving. <laughs> so everyone started to disperse and then I was the next person in line. Yeah. And I saw this, this poor astronomer struggling with the telescope to try to find something. And then I just kind of looked up and I knew what he was trying to find. And I said, what are you looking for? And he said, oh, it's a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, is it Andromeda? It, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I did. Do you want me to get it for you? He said, oh, no, no, this is a very complicated instrument. Yeah, you know, it's, it's very <laughs> difficult. And I just said, no one's behind me. I can get it to you in two seconds. He said, can you? And I said, yeah. So I got the <laughs> point of the telescope and he went, call everyone back in, but don't move. You stay. <laughs> Amazing. At 13, 14 kind of age. Yeah, and then yeah. At, then at at the um, at the end of it, the people that took brought me there, uh, he said, "If you don't mind, I'm going to keep Stephen here." And um, so they all went home, and we stayed up until the break of dawn. Yeah. And he just said, "Show me what you know," and I showed him everything. Wow. And then at dawn, he said, "Okay, go home and come back at eight o'clock." To the business office and then they handed me a key to the observatory and wow. said, you have free access no way as long as you help out every to help to show the stars amazing so i had access to harvard college observatories instruments yeah. since i was 14. that's incredible yeah. so you must have been seeing amazing things since then yeah. And I guess that was the moment where you first realized like that you were quite special at this. Like, I, I guess it's fair to say you've got a bit of a gift when it comes to that. Yeah. Like I've read quite a lot online that you've got one of the best eyes in the industry, in the game. Yeah, I get, you know, it's fun. That, that is funny because I never thought that I never 
honestly, when you said that, I, it, it, it crossed my mind. I never even, it, it didn't cross my mind. Really? I guess I'm just not that kind of person. I thought it was great that they did that. Yeah. Um, and I knew it was, it was an opportunity. Yeah. But I guess I was only looking at that like this is incredible. This was a dream of mine. That's all I looked for was it was a dream. Yeah. Because I used to pass by the observatory on a bus, always looking at the huge domes and saying, Oh, I can't imagine what it's like to be there. And then suddenly you're living a dream, and that's all. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I had to eat humble pie because there were all these great astrophysicists around. I mean, they're really they're some of the, the people that you still read about today, they were undergraduates then yeah. you know, who found the great walls of galaxies. And, you know, uh, I, you can go on and on about the number of greats that were there. But they all took me under their wing. Yeah. And they were just like parents, you know, showing me uh, what they knew and That's inspiring amazing. me to, to observe. But yeah, the gift, you know, of eyesight and all that is like okay fine i had good, good eyesight but it was through training so someone once called me a visual athlete wow I and like i like that, that because yeah. I start, when i started off i couldn't see as faint as i can see today i couldn't see as much detail on planets as i can see today it's just over time and dedication and i can but not everyone has that opportunity you see that's so yeah it is an incredible gift and i understand that but i did not let that gift go i did not take advantage of that i mean i took you did <laughs> yeah i i honestly i i kind of moved into the observatory i was there <laughs> morning noon and night i i was in the in the libraries i was reading old journals going through all the this is harvard library but it's just this enormous you know fact-finding mission and learning from all the greats in astronomy amazing that you've got this huge passion and just at that moment in your life you get given basically the keys to to do everything you want with it and to to follow it the full course you know yeah just amazing what you saying that now it's things that i i don't yeah looking back on it it's, it's, it is it's, it's just it's mind-blowing yeah and imagine if you hadn't gone on that day to that to that harvard open day you know, your life could have turned out completely different. No, absolutely. Different. Life's a and funny the thing. The good thing is that what I had an opportunity to do just a few years back was I, I traveled back to the U.S. and went to my hometown where I was still, where I still grew, grew up. And um, I was able to find the family that took me to the observatory. Oh, wow. So this, yeah. is, like, so this is like, you know, 50 years later. Yeah. <laughs> and... The, unfortunately, the husband had just passed away, but his wife was still there. She was ill, and her son. And um, it, I took it, and I came into her bed. She was ill, but I had a chance to say, to thank her, and I just told her how important it was to my life what they had done for me. Yeah, well, that's amazing that you got the opportunity to go and yeah say that. That's yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Tell me, because I do want to get onto Mars soonish. So just tell me briefly, like not that I want to rush you through it, but let's get onto some of your astronomy highlights. So 
I know that you, I don't know if these are your personal highlights, but I know you were the first person to see Haley's Comet come back around in 85. You, you were the first person yes. to notice something to do with the rotation of Uranus, right? Uranus. Yes. Um, yes. And you've got something to do with Saturn's rings and you've got an asteroid named after you, which is, I feel like that's the astronomy hall of fame. That's like your gold yeah. jacket. <laughs> <laughs> so just tell me a little bit about like those or whatever sticks out from those experiences. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Let's you see. can pick and choose. We came first. Yeah, we, we came first. So, so Saturn's the spokes and Saturn's rings. the spokes. Yes, that was it. Yes. Yeah. Oh boy, that's a story in itself. Oh, oh, <laughs> each one of these actually is a story in itself. <laughs> I bet. I'll, 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 uh, I mean, seriously, because. All right. One of the things that happened while I was just young, so I was only sixteen. Yeah. So, so I was only 16 years old, and um, uh, 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 Dr. Franklin, who's a, a um, planetary specialist, came up and he asked me if I could do a project for him. And it was to look for these faint variations in brightness along the outer edge of Saturn's rings. Right. And he asked me if, it, if he thought it was possible to see one-tenth of a variation along these rings. I thought about it and I said, well, I'll give it a, I'll give it a shot. I think it's, it's possible. Yeah. So I did. Anyway, long story short, short, after a month of observing, he was out using a larger telescope with an electronic device that measures star uh, light. So it's like a, it's a photometer. Right. Anyway, so it's not visual. I was doing it visual. He was doing it photometrically. Okay. And he wanted to compare the eye against the machine. And it turned out that it, it, we were we were synced. Mm. My observations coincided with that. So it was yeah. really wonderful. He wrote a paper. And then I went back to the telescope and I said, "Wow, if he was looking for a little faint variation in the outer part of Saturn's ring, maybe there's something in the inside, in the middle ring." which is bigger and brighter. So I started my own project and I started looking for faint details in it. And it took a while, took a lot of time to figure out how best to do this. But then one day I did, I saw these finger-like projections going across the rings radially, all the way across the rings. Right. And they changed over time. Sometimes it was one, sometimes it was two, sometimes they were here, sometimes they were there, and they moved with the planet, all the stuff. Yeah. So I made drawings and I went down and I showed them to him. And I said, look at Dr. Franklin, there's something else, they're in the ring. And he says, oh, Steve, you do incredible work, but unfortunately it's impossible, they can't exist. <laughs> and he explained why, so here's this, Harvard professor, a guru of planetary astronomy, <laughs> telling me that why these things can't exist because of Keplerian rotation, which means the inner parts of Saturn's rings rotate faster than the outer parts. So anything that crossed the rings couldn't survive and they would be torn apart by sheer forces and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, okay. So I said, I better go back and look. So <laughs> yeah. I go back and look, still there. <laughs> <laughs> and he just said, Steve, you know, 
what can I say? But uh, it, it <laughs> must be an illusion of some sort. So I continued to observe them. I submitted them to journals. I submitted, my, I made drawings. I made for four years. Okay. <laughs> no one accepted anything. No one would really? publish the drawings. No one did anything until the Voyagers were going out to Saturn. Yeah. And now by this time I was working for Sky and Telescope magazine. And um, yeah, and I was young too. <laughs> <laughs> I started working for them. Um, there was a, a, a specialist, planetary specialist, who was showing me images, early images from Voyager, way, mm -hmm. way, still like, you know, I don't know how many millions of miles away still from Saturn, but little tinky things. And I just yeah. said, oh, that's nothing. And he kept showing me images till finally I said, look it, he's going out to California to see the close encounter at JPL. I said, look it, I'm off to Switzerland. So when Voyager sees these, you know, little radial fingers in ring B, then I want you to call me up. And then yeah. you can tell me what Voyager can see. So, <laughs> you know, I said it half jokingly. Yeah. But at the same time, seriously, <laughs> it's like, I want to know. I'm going to yeah. be away. <laughs> but meanwhile, I was away while all this happened, but he was at, he was at JPL, huge screen, huge screen. And the first images came back of Saturn's rings close up. And here were the radial fingers. <laughs> And he just like fell over in his chair. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I know, but no one believed them still. Oh, he's seen things. Oh, okay. Did you ever doubt it oh, during anyway. those four years? Did you ever think? Oh. No, 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 no. You're just like, I can see it. I can see it. So yeah, it's there. Okay. I mean, you know, it's like, I know what an illusion is. Yeah. I, I, you know, by then I trained myself to know. It's like, uh, my eye can't, you know, it, People to this day, they still try to write papers why yeah. I was seeing things, you know, <laughs> but it, it's like they don't know the whole story, obviously, yeah. if you read the papers. I didn't even, again, I just, when I got back, they had the images of um, Saturn with the spokes and uh, together with my drawing. And they said, congratulations. And I went, oh, thank you. And I just put all my drawings back in a, file and i put them in a drawer and that was it yeah <laughs> i mean I, I felt like wow that was cool yeah yeah but then the that, press got a hold of it yeah it sounds amazing anyway. though again like uh what a spot <laughs> impressive <laughs> i love that about science as well that there's still like we're so t advanced we're so technologically advanced we know so much and yet there's still so much we don't know like you come up with that you see it and everybody's like no no way can't can't be possible and yet it is. Yeah, and it was. And, then, and, yet, and yet there it is. I know. And the, I, I totally understand. I, I understand. And I understood that professor, everything he was saying, because why can anyone else see them? And that's the hardest thing. I mean, yeah. Vision is unique to individuals. Most other people, as you learn, I learned later, other people had seen them, but they were afraid to report them mm. because they knew they were impossible to see. Yeah. And it reminds me of sprites. You know, sprites in the atmosphere? I don't Pilots used to. Oh, okay. There are these. Oh, these are the weirdest things on the face of the planet. Really? <laughs> for, for visual phenomenon. Yeah. Right. Sprites. Anyway. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. They have sprites, elves now. And or, anyway, but pilots, like in, in even back into the eight, late 1800s, ships, captains, and everything would see these weird phenomena that would go above lightning storms, like into the sky. Mm. And pilots would see them. And they look like carrots, like if you took a carrot, but they're like phantom carrots <laughs> that are in the sky. Right. And they just kind of flash for like a microsecond. Yeah. And it's sort of like, you know how they used to flash Coke in the, in the movies? You know, to, for <laughs> subliminal, yeah. So, yeah, subliminal advertising. So it's like subliminal advertising in the sky for carrots. You know? <laughs> That's amazing. So, yeah. Anyway, I saw one of these things, so I understand why these guys were freaked out. Yeah. Because they're huge. They just look like, you know, 50 degree phantoms of carrots, you know? <laughs> and so, can you imagine being a pilot? <laughs> there are carrots in the sky. <laughs> no, I can't so, even imagine that. So the no, pilots, pilots would not, you know, they recorded them, they would say, they would, they would not tell anyone, you know, like, a, who, who's their superior. That yeah, carrots. what are you going to say? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so, but it turns out now, oh, it's, it's the biggest phenomenon. Now they have, you know, now everyone's photographing them. They're, you know, they have NASA's studying them. There, there is, there are upward discharges of lightning. And, um, wow. and in fact, there's one theory that they even cause spokes in Saturn's rings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> must be. It all into, I know, I know. So, that's, that's crazy. Not the ones on Earth, but the ones in Saturn. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm going to definitely uh, look into those after sprites. Yeah. <laughs> in yeah the sky. You if you ever get to see one, you're going to understand. Oh, that reminds me, actually, completely like left field question here that I, I even forgot to, to think about asking you in the run up to this. I saw uh, like a couple of months ago or yeah, six months or so ago, within a week from my balcony on two separate days, I saw two bright green meteors like going basically horizontal through the sky. And they were just the most amazing like asteroid and or meteor that I've ever seen in my life. And I saw two of them inside, yeah, like I say, a few days on separate occasions. Uh, they were just amazing. I've spoken to quite a few people and they say they've never seen one. I did Google it and apparently they're not that rare, but it was just amazing. What, no, but, to you... see two, but do you remember what month it was? It was, yeah, because it was around my birthday. So it was around the end of August, okay. start of September. Okay. Uh, the end of August, all right. Yeah, right oh. at the end, ran right at the all start right. of September. I'd have to, yeah, well, the proceeds are in August. And there are some tour meteors that, that occur in September. Um, anyway, but the point is that it very well could have been. Yeah. You know, I'm going to ask you about that again later off, off, off air. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were just amazing. I, they, I was completely yeah. like gobsmacked. I, I, and, then, and then to see it again, like the second one wasn't quite as good. It didn't like stay in the sky for quite as long. It wasn't quite as bright, but it was exactly the same green. And it was just the same yeah. kind of breathtakingly, like it felt like I watched them burn up, you know, with a normal shooting star or asteroid, you see it and it yeah. kind of just goes across the sky and then just it's gone. But this, I felt like there was that real moment where you see it almost get brighter as it's burning up and then gone. But they were, they were amazing. Yeah. Sorry. You just, uh, I had to jump no, no, into that. Anything, there. Like that anything like that is, is splendid. And um, the way you describe them is going horizontally. It's, 
we'll have to look into that because you might be able to find out when a media shower, they have what's called a radiant. Yeah. It's where they seem to stream from. You know, like if you're going through, if you're driving, I don't know, you're in England. If you're driving through snow. Ah, uh, France you know, here, but yes, yeah, we get snow up here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. The, the accent <laughs> could be distracting. <laughs> no, I know. But you're in <laughs> So if you're driving through snow, even though yeah. the snow is falling down like this, when you're driving into it, it looks like it's coming at you. Yeah. Streaming at you from a point. Um, anyway, when the radiant is rising, this is when meteors can travel basically long, long paths across yeah. the sky yeah. and burn up as, uh, yeah. But, they, but even those, well, anyway, we'll talk about that. But that, <laughs> but that was great. That was yeah. Great. I mean, I, that was Could've the best thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I looked into it. Yeah. They were the best, yeah. the best. They were the most amazing things I've ever seen in terms of okay. na natural stuff. They were just yeah. incredible. Yeah, like I was lost, lost for words. Tell me, you must have seen some things. Tell me the most amazing things you've ever seen, like live, <laughs> either naked eye or telescope or whatever, binoculars. Well, I, what have you I just told you the sprites. <laughs> yeah, we'll give you a couple nothing of other like, uh, memorable. Nothing can be sprite. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you a story. This is. I hope it's fun. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll get on to Mars after this story. Yeah. 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 All right. So, one time when I was teaching astronomy, it's 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 at um. Anyway, I had some students at the observatory, and one thing I like to do if a satellite goes across the sky, I would use a finder scope. And I would track the satellite in the sky. Yeah. And then I would have students look through the eyepiece and they get to see the satellite go through the field of view. Just kind of yeah. a fun thing to do with them. Yeah. Satellites are just little pinpoints of light, even through the telescope, they're just little pinpoints. So I, I saw a satellite going across the sky. So I get the telescope and I, I'm on the finder scope and I tell a student to get under there. And all of a sudden, the student starts screaming. Oh my God, oh my God, this is incredible. I don't believe it. Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> well it's the pinpoint of light, you know, it's okay, but he's having fun. And he just said, <laughs> it's a, he said you won't believe, I, I just can't, I just, it's too incredible. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's stuttering. And so I just kind of like, pushed the telescope so that I had time to get underneath. Yeah. And then I looked and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's this glowing oval disc with fuzzy, fuzzy things that came down like two hooked wings. Yeah. And two little, and, and then suddenly I was like, Oh my word! And I went back up to the finder scope. Suddenly, this thing goes away from nine from uh, uh, its satellite motion to going off at ninety degrees. Just really? A ninety degree? Yeah. And I start tracking this thing, and it just kind of does like a wild loop, almost right down over to the city of Boston. And I was like, "What was that?" And this guy was just so. Um, I knew I knew Alan Hynek from. Yeah. From you, Project Blue Book. And you knew him that. personally? Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. And so, 
So I called him, you know, yeah. and I just said, I thought this bizarre thing. I said, I don't, I'm thinking, I'm thinking weather balloon. I'm thinking, I said, but it did have an odd behavior. And, and I, but I'm hesitant to fill out anything. He says, no, please fill out a, a form and, um, you know, and we can look into it. And I still hesitated. And then I tried to tell, tell the student not to do, not to, do anything but he filled out a form and he sent it in <laughs> i didn't so the next day i'm up at the the next night uh, i'm up at the observatory and i'm still contemplating what happened and the next thing you know i see the same thing with my naked eyes wow and this time because the telescope flips it upside down this time it's, it's up like this and then it zooms across the northern sky and then it comes right over the observatory it was an owl really no way <laughs> it's, its belly its belly was being illuminated by city lights <laughs> damn it yeah. oh my god owl okay <laughs> how yeah. did you pick it up an owl with your first telescope I <laughs> that's crazy he was way up he was, yeah. he was just high he was just he was just circling high overhead and we just really, resolved it that's really not where i, I was know. hoping that story was going i was i was <laughs> i know you were like yes yes UFOs are there. i was like I keep know. going keep going oh yeah i know oh but that's amazing have you got any others like that where you kind of had something that you struggled to identify um oh, not 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 really not off the top of my head that was the one. Nothing that was the memorable nothing, one. I mean, nothing that I couldn't say, oh, this is probably that. Yeah. It turned out to be that. Yeah, but nothing yeah. else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, that's an amazing story anyway. And, and another time, I'm definitely going to have to ask you more about uh, Alan Hynek and stuff like that. That's, that's amazing. Um, I'm fascinated by that whole kind of, that whole thing. Yes, um, yeah. With like the unexplained stuff. And because the, the, yeah. I do think that, that there are some cases of things that are just too weird to you know to be certain about, and I'd like to see more more coverage of it. I guess to find always, out more about I, I, it. I've always investigated. Uh, I always listen to people when they have reports, and I keep an open mind because yeah, okay, so ninety nine point nine percent of everything could be, but maybe something even if you. Even if it has a rational explanation in the end, it's always mm. fun to try to figure out. Um, yeah, definitely, oh, definitely, and and yeah, I and so. I think, like you said, even if it's zero point one percent, which I expect, there's probably a much higher percentage or a higher percentage anyway of like maybe five percent that are that are very hard to to explain, and that's by professionals and people that are experts in it, and they struggle to say exactly, you know, what's going on. So, but anyway, fascinating subject, which I'd like to come back to another time, but I would kick myself yes. if we didn't talk about Mars before I run out of time here. Oh, okay. So, so let's yes. get onto the red planet and tell me like, yeah, when yeah. did you, you've always fancied Mars, you've always been in love with Mars, or what, was this a... Uh... Yeah, well, I, you know, it's really funny, um, I, I did, I did do a radio interview with a, a woman in England who has a little <laughs> show it, and because of Mars. I just had this book on Mars that came out um, by, uh, you can get it though, it's Mars by Reaction Press. Yeah. I'm going to post all those things in the, uh, the notes of the episode. And yeah. Yeah. And, um, but anyway, so 
it was to talk about that, but she just said, I have to admit something. I hate Mars. <laughs> <laughs> what an admission. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> but I can understand. She's younger. And you have to be of my age in order to, I think, really, my age or older, to, to, ha to have grown up pre-spacecraft in the golden age of, of, of astronomy really uh, uh, where we still didn't know much about the planets all we had were grainy black and white images and a lot of possibilities of, of what could be out there and and so much science fiction in those days that we read uh, that it just the idea that there could be life on Mars, when I was a child, looking at it through my telescope, it didn't matter that it was just a tiny little pea, orange pea. You could see the little polar cap at least. It, yeah. And it just fueled the imagination and just made you passionate about wanting to see as much as you can on this, on this little world, even through tiny little telescopes. Um, and so, yeah. So you, you kind of grew up in an age where that was a reality. And um, even though it was a slight reality, I know it made a major impact on me because in my science fairs in high school, one of them I did was, well, it was inspired by Carl Sagan, you know, who, had, who, who um, and we, we, we had, we did, uh, we tried to simulate a Martian atmosphere in an aquarium Wow. Well, we had carbon dioxide, we had dry ice, yeah. and we had petri dishes in which we were trying to see if we, you know, things would grow. Amazing. Martian, like, yeah, I know, but it really wasn't because everyone was picking up the thing and looking <laughs> at the petri dishes. And <laughs> yeah. still won. We still won first place. But it was, uh, <laughs> it, was it, it, it was just a lot of fun. Did you manage to grow anything? I'm sure we grew uh, uh, what do you call it? Bacteria from so many different people sticking their fingers in the dish. Yeah, yeah. No, so, yeah. It counts. <laughs> no, yeah, we just had to say that the, the experiment was a failure because of uncontrolled circumstances. But yes, yeah, but, yeah. But then to to look at this world through telescopes and then to always be seeking out Martian canals if you could see them or not. Uh, it was just special. I can see that. And I think there's going to be a new generation of people like that now. I mean, I've always been fascinated by space and Mars, and that definitely doesn't decrease as I get older. That, in fact, is getting, I'm just getting more and more interested in everything out there. But, but yeah, I think uh, it's just fascinating now that we're going to be, hopefully, and I, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this, but sending people there in the next few years and, you know, going forward from yeah. there. So I think there's going to be a whole new generation of kids growing up fascinated in Mars now. Um, I expect. Yeah, I do. I I hope so. And I and I, you know, the new the perseverance just getting yeah, getting going, and to see the technological achievements that we've made in order to see that landing, yeah. the parachutes being deployed and then filming it coming down and the retro rockets firing yeah. and to be able to lower this thing down. Like, it's amazing. Like some kind of mannequin. <laughs> it was yeah. It's, and then to hear the first sound as well. Yeah, yeah, I know sounds, when, that, yeah. when that gets going. When that gets going, it's supposed uh, to be soon, I think. So, right? 
Yeah, well, I know they're still going through tests, so I, I don't know what soon means. So I don't. I know. think it, I think I saw it as a couple of soon. days until it's like maybe just unloaded or something like that. But I don't know exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Hopefully soon. Yes. So when do you think we will set foot on on the red planet? When do you think humankind will? Well, I know have the you, first you, foot. You know, Musk is doing an incredible job. Um, yeah. With all, with and together with NASA and all others involved. Uh, I know they, they, they have thoughts of getting there in 2035 or getting a mission out there. I think that's a bit ambitious. Personally, I don't, I don't know. I'm not in, there's, there's so many variables involved in politics involved in yeah. and getting anything done these days that I think if, if, if we committed ourselves and said, this is what we're going to do, sort of like the lunar, race to the moon yeah if we had a driving force behind us to say we need to do this like stephen hawkins is the one who said that we need to do this at first he said humanity probably has only a century left yeah <laughs> and then he changed it to up it a little bit but it, so he's saying we need to explore go beyond our our horizons meaning earth and and investigate other worlds um i, I don't, you know i it's really funny because I, I love the adventure, you know, being, especially yeah. being a volcanologist. I mean, I love to be on top of Olympus Mons, yeah. looking down into the caldera or, you know, seeking out hydrothermal vents and on the planet, you know, yeah. <laughs> ancient ones. You know, that, that would be all be exciting. Um, so but, you'd go if you got uh, the offer? No, only if Star Trek existed and I could <laughs> beam there. I, so in real life, three month trip, which and like two year turnaround, three would you, months, would you oh, consider no, no. it? Or six yeah. months, is it? Well, that would be that would be pushing it, you know, right? You know, maybe more like nine months, depending on how they go, how they go. Um, you know, if you had nuclear fusion rockets, you can get there sooner. But um, you know what that's all about. So uh, I think that that given our current technology there's there's so much we have to overcome and i don't think i think we can overcome everything and look at people have stayed up the idea is that you have to basically spend a year going to mars almost like nine months going to mars and then you have to wait a year yeah perhaps and then some for for the planets to realign in order to take off from mars to take another so it's really almost a three-year trip yeah you know round trip and so you have to be able to sustain yourself on Mars. But I love everything that's going on as far as tech, the, again, technological advances and how to 3D, um, um, sorry, can't think of the word. This mapping. Those... Yeah, 3D mapping yeah. Of, of structures and, you know, utilizing um, ice within the surface in order to create. Yeah igloo-like structures that could prevent ultraviolet radiation from getting in and then finding ways. They, they have so many different ways that they could, they can um, have art artificial means setting up villages basically before the people get there so that they have places to live. And yeah, it's, it's going to be amazing. It is fascinating. I can't wait to watch. I think the latest plan not that I know exactly, I'm not in the know or anything like that, but from, from brief internet searching and trying to keep up to date with it, I think the latest is they're supposed to send, I think, two unmanned starships in, I think it's 2024, 
and then okay. depending on you know the success of that they're supposed to drop off some stuff uh for the the first people that arrive to kind of unpack and start to create this kind of colony the start of the colony so i suppose then the first met the first people are supposed to go a few years after that i didn't the last i heard there wasn't a specific date but i think it's i think it's a bit closer than your 2035 that you mentioned i think it, i think they're trying to do it a bit sooner but i'm sure there'll be delays and all sorts you know there's <laughs> 2032 yes i but yeah I, it what what i find interesting is that covid uh, not to bring that into this discussion <laughs> but but the idea that people have to self-isolate yeah now for more than a year <laughs> yeah. you know and some people let's say being in an apartment and, and not being able to get out and living with one another for a year in that environment it's just sort of like what you have to do in order to go to mars yeah good training <laughs> yeah good training <laughs> yeah i didn't want to bring up COVID either but since it's snuck its way into our conversation there was something else i was going to say to you as well which is just yeah. i don't i don't it's not based on anything it's literally anecdotal my evidence here it's personal experience but I've noticed a really big difference here where I am in France, near, on the outskirts of the city. I've noticed a really big difference in looking up at the stars and looking up at the night sky due to the lack of oh. potentially the lack of pollution, in my opinion. The, I, yes. I feel like it's so much clear. I feel like there's nights now where I haven't seen the stars as clear as they are for years or since I was or since I was yeah. back in, in the countryside near my family or something like that. But here every day seems to be or every clear day seems to be clearer and and more visible than the last and it's amazing have you noticed that at all yeah well actually we, we've had rain for the last three months so ah. I, I, no but <laughs> and but you've got pretty actually, good stars anyway <laughs> no we have pretty good stars to begin with but no i understand what you're saying totally i understand especially because of if you think about it the lack of air traffic yeah and, and yeah, yeah. think about how the ultra high cirrus that they're creating yeah. just with their the um, water vapor um, so which and ultimately end up reflecting lights and with the decreased amount of lights being used at, at nighttime yeah so I have heard that in, in other places too even in New York my friends in New York yeah, I'd love to see some some actual yeah. like studies done on it to like measure the levels of you know light at night or whatever compared to before or level yes. the 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 visibility because it really does feel yeah tangibly different. It feels actually different. Yeah, I'm sure it does. I wish I, I wish we could if you had a, a way to just turn off all lights globally. Yeah, for one night or even an hour. <laughs> Yeah, just to, to show people the stars so they yeah. can all see and wonder and say, wow, I maybe would they'd it. understand. I'll tell you another a short story. Yeah, please. Because I lived in Hawaii for, um, you know, like 25 years. Um, and once I, was, I had my telescope out on the volcano and, and, and I was near the summit where... Uh, tourists will occasionally go go past, and um, one day so I have my telescope set up and really crystal clear skies there. And then uh, an elderly man and a woman got out of their car. First the man, and he just looked up at the sky, and then he was calling his wife. Sweetheart, come out here! Come out here! 
you have to come out here. She's going, what? what <laughs> says, no, come and look. And so she's, oh, you know, a little hesitant. And she goes out and she walks around to him and he goes, she says, what? She says, look. And he showed her the sky and she went, oh. <laughs> and then there's just silence. Yeah. And then he wrapped his, his arm around her. And they both just looked into the sky together and said, isn't it amazing? And that was it. <laughs> That's beautiful. It's just, That's a beautiful yeah. moment. Yeah. It is breathtaking when you get a good view yeah. up there. I've never had a view like I'm sure you have daily in, in, in Africa, but but my gosh, I would love to be somewhere really remote and just yeah, be able to spend a few nights of just gazing up and just looking at it and yeah. learning about it. Yeah. Yeah. It is good. It, it is very fortunate to have that type of sky here. Yeah. And we didn't um, even get to touch on that, on uh, on looking into the sky. And you've got your book, uh, you know, Astronomy yeah. with Binoculars. I, I don't know the actual, the exact name. I forgot oh, it. But you, well, the night skies. The night sky one. through binoculars. Yeah. Isn't there one with uh, binoculars uh, as well? Oh, I have, I have, yeah, I do have a binocular book, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're losing track. But the latest one is The Night Skies of Botswana, but it's yeah. for naked eye and, uh, uh, yeah, in binoculars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd be fascinated in the other one as well because I'm obviously not in Botswana at the moment. So no, no, yeah, the one the with binocular binoculars. One. Yeah. yeah, it'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, but look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and bring this to a, a little conclusion there because I've taken, I've taken an hour of your time. Um, but it's been some amazing stories and we didn't even really get to touch on the asteroid that's been named after you and uh, and Uranus oh, and you know all sorts, <laughs> Halley's comet and. And Mars yeah. probably could do with a little bit more time, but either way, yeah. it was really, really fun. I really enjoyed it. So thanks a yeah. lot. No, and thank you, Ben. It's been a pleasure. No, my pleasure. Thanks again, Stephen. All right, take care. All right, you take care too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Stephen James O'Meara. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and share it with a friend. If you want to buy one of Stephen's books or follow this podcast, all the relevant links are in the description. Thank you to Stephen for your time and incredible stories. Be nice, be happy, be cool.